0: a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to wait in line at customs at the airport. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about foreign games. First, we discuss some games we've played at MeepleCon. Then, we talk about games that we and many Americans might not be as familiar with that come from other parts of the world. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word foreign. And now, here are your hosts. Ambi. And Crystal! Before we hop into the main episode, we wanted to make a quick announcement. This month marks the one-year anniversary of us joining Patreon, which is very exciting! Yay! So, we... the show is now almost two years old, and we've been on Patreon for a year, and we wanted to give an especially big shout-out to those of you who have been supporting the show uh, on Patreon. We love and appreciate everyone who supports the show in all forms, whether that's just you know retweeting our stuff on Twitter, or posting in our Board Game Geek Guild, but to those of you who are supporting us on Patreon, you make a really, really big difference to us, and you make it possible for us to do bigger and better things going forward, and so thank you, thank you, thank you! We will likely be sending you a surprise in the near future, so if you are not one of our patrons and you'd like to be, just head to patreon.com boardgameblitz, and you can support the show for as little as $1 a month. So that's like 12 bucks a year. I think that's pretty reasonable cost-wise. And you get access to our Slack channel, which is really cool.
1: Two weeks ago, we both went to MeepleCon in Las Vegas. And we played a lot of games there, which were a lot of fun. Uh, I actually wrote a blog about some of the games I played, which I'll link to in the show notes. It's on our website. But my favorite Nudami game that I played there was The Mind. The Mind! May, which you may have seen mentioned a lot on Twitter recently
0: because it's blowing up. It but, is so blowing up yeah. all over the place. I guess it was big at Gamma and MapleCon. so in the span yes. of a week, like so many people played this game. <laughs> yeah, so The
1: Mind is a 2018 game, a uh, cooperative card game for two to four players, designed by Wolfgang Warsh and published by Nürnberger Spielkarten Verlag. Uh, Right now, it's only in Germany and the Netherlands, but Pandasaurus will be publishing it in the US this year, so I will wait until then to get it. But Jess from Artana Games brought a copy to MeepleCon and was playing with everyone there, or just... Giving it to people and telling them to play because she's already played it a hundred times. So yeah,
0: she actually got the copy of the game from Aldi, the person who runs Board Game Geek. It's his copy. And she basically pouted enough that he let her borrow it until Origins. And she she already told me, she's like, oh, I'm going to wear this copy out and have to buy him a new one. (laughs) Like...
1: So The Mind is a cooperative card game where there are 100 cards in the deck numbered 1 to 100. In each round, each player gets the number of cards for the round. So the first round, everyone gets one card. Second round, everyone gets two cards and so on. And you have to play all the cards in order from lowest to highest. But the hard part is you can't talk or communicate. You just look at each other and based on the timing and your expressions, you decide when to play your card. So it's it's really hard, especially when you have close numbers. Like if someone has a 70 and the next person has a 71 and you're both... Like not wanting to play, but then kind of wanting to play. And then you don't know who to go first. And uh, so if you play out of order, then you lose a life and you have uh,
0: four lives, I think. You have the same number of lives as the number of players. Oh, I've only played
1: with four players.
0: Oh, Yeah, no, you (laughs) uh, so you have the same number of lives as the number of players. And then throughout the course of the game, you can gain back extra lives.
1: Yeah. And you also have these ninja stars, which you can um, if everyone agrees by raising their hand, everyone can discard their lowest card but you also have a limited number of those and you gain back like one or two during the game. And with four players, there's eight rounds. So it gets really hard because you have more cards to play in, in order. And I played six times and I haven't won yet. And Jess said she'd played about a hundred times or over a hundred times and won twice. So it's a pretty hard game. Yeah, by the time really she fun. played
0: with me, she had played it, I think, 115 times. Wow. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah, The Mind is a great game, and I really want to get it when it comes out.
0: I <laughs> I and I, I'm, I'll, There have been a lot of comparisons by people online of this <laughs> to The Game, which, yeah. uh, again, worst <laughs> named game in the history, but this is the same company that made The Game that makes oh, this okay. one, yeah. and it is similar at first glance. I personally like it way more than The Game, <laughs> and I... In my personal opinion, I think most people are going to feel the same way. This is more enjoyable Mm -hmm. because there's no turns. You don't have to just like, you're not forced to ever, well, like in the game, you have to play your card on your turn no matter what. And sometimes you have horrible options. But Mm -hmm. in this one, it's just a matter of figuring out who should play. Although the very first time Jess taught it to me, we were playing with three players. And so we each got one card in the first round and I'm looking at a 78 in my hand. (laughs) And the other two, Jess and uh, the other guy, are both looking at me like with like intense eyes, <laughs> and I'm like, "There's no way, like, it can't be me, right?" Like, yeah. And so we just stood is. there. We just sat there staring at each other for like two minutes, and finally, I was like, "I'm sorry, I can't." And they they did both have numbers higher than mine, but like, if one of them had even like a 70 or a 60 like a high 60 something. I feel like they might have been doing this. I don't know. I should have known, but it was my first time playing. It got easier as we went. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I um I also really like the game, but I like the mind better because yeah, there's actually no luck in the mind compared to the game because you can just get screwed over by bad draws in the game because you have to play all the cards, but in the mind it's possible to play it's possible to win every time. Whereas yeah. in games like Hanabi and the game, it's not possible to win sometimes. So that's true. Yeah, I, I like the mind a lot.
0: <laughs> so yeah, keep an eye out from that. Uh, Pandasaurus <laughs> games, print a bunch of those because they're going to be popular. <laughs> okay, so rather than doing a single game for me, I want to do uh, something different this week, Amby, Will you help me out with this? Sure. Okay, I'm going to do... A blitz recap of just a few of the games that I played at MeepleCon. So I want to do spend about a minute per game, and I'm going to need you to keep me honest because otherwise, you know me, I'll talk forever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so hold on, let me. I'm gonna. I've got my the names of my games written down and not much else. So it's going to get a little bit rambly, but we'll we'll see what happens. So you tell me when to start, and then I don't know, holler at me occasionally when I need to switch games or something. <laughs> All right. Uh, ready? Yep. Go. So first, I got to finally play Dinosaur Island, which Amby talked about in a recent episode. It's by Pandasaurus Games, published in 2017, designed by John Gilmore and Brian Lewis. And I wanted to not like this game because it's back on Kickstarter and I didn't (laughs) want to have to back it. But oh my gosh, it's so good. It's awesome. (laughs) I loved it so much. You all have heard me talk about, like, the types of EuroE games that I tend to love are the ones that are highly thematic, and this one is definitely that. It is really, really neat, and I want all the fun dino meeples and the cool components, so I'm probably going to back it on Kickstarter. And yeah, I loved it. It's awesome. I highly recommend it to anybody who likes thematic worker placement games and neon 80s colors, because <laughs> that's got a lot of those, both of those, in spades. Yep. <laughs> all right. Next is Arkham Horror, the card game. So this is a an LCG, a living card game from Fantasy Flight Games, published in 2016, designed by Nate French and Matt Newman. Uh, I'd been wanting to play this one for quite some time and hadn't gotten around to it. And luckily, the awesome Z Garcia of the Dice Tower offered to teach it to me at MeepleCon. So we played through the first scenario. It's really neat because it has the same kind of a feel as, like... Mansions of Madness or Eldritch Horror, where you're like exploring areas and doing things, but it's all on cards. And I was really, really quite impressed with it. And I know that the base game comes with a few scenarios and then there's lots of expansions now. So unfortunately, I liked that one too. And now I'm probably going to have to buy it. So thanks a lot, Z, for making me spend some money. (laughs) All right. Next up is Island Hopper, a 2017 release from Eagle Griffin Games designed by Scott Alms. Y'all probably haven't heard of this one, and kind of for good reason, but I don't know. So a couple, uh, almost a month ago at this point, for those of you who don't know, the Dice Tower does a bi-weekly video show called Dice Tower Tonight, where Tom and Eric go live on YouTube and now Twitch, I think, as well. And they talk about some games and they play a game where they take six kind of crummy games that Tom has gotten in the mail and narrow it down to one via a process that I won't explain. And then Tom and Eric both have to review that game. Well, a month ago, Eric's power went out five minutes before the show was supposed to start. And Tom needed someone to step in at a moment's notice. And I raised my hand and did that. So when we played that game, the game that got picked was Island Hopper. So he brought it to MeepleCon and I got to play it. And it is a silly, fun game that has a horrifically bad rule book, (laughs) like real bad. Like it mentions cubes and there's no cubes in the game. And it has two different (laughs) rules for who the starting player should be. And it specifically contradicts itself at one point. Like it's, not proofread well at all but in the game everybody uh is like friends who are going to uh, deliver things to islands but you all didn't have a lot of money so you put your money together and bought a single plane and you have to share it so one round every round somebody's the captain and you have to hold your hand out with your eyes closed and other people have to tell you where to move your hand to drop something onto an island that's on the table so it's dexterity but like silly and fun. And apparently I move my hand around a lot when I don't think I am and that's really amusing to the people around me. <laughs> Basically, what the way Tom described it I think is great. This is a fun con game with the right group, but it's not like a great game by any means. But hey, if you can see it, if you see it on the shelf and it's cheap, pick it up. Lastly, high society. Originally published in 1995, the new printing of, in 2018 is from Osprey Games, designed by Reiner Knizia. I'm sure y'all have maybe heard of him once or twice in the past. So this is an older game, and like a lot of Knizia's games, it's a bidding game. So in high society, you have everybody has a hand of cards that contain money, and you will be bidding on cards that contain points. The cards will flip over one at a time, and then in turn order, you will bid to see who gets to win them, and... Whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. That sounds really simple, right? Well, there's a few twists along the way. Some of the cards will double your points, or hat, or remove points from you, or are bad things. And at the end of the game, whoever has the least amount of money remaining in their hand is eliminated immediately. So you can't bid a ton (laughs) on all the point cards because then you'll lose the game for having the least amount of money. You know, high society and all that. Does that sound kind of boring? Well, it kind of would be unless you play it with the right people. I got to play that with the Murph Brothers and Z Garcia again late at night uh, at the con. We were using horrible French accents and having just a heck of a time. It was so, (laughs) so much fun. Uh, Honestly, it is a great little bidding game, but it's pretty simple in and of itself. Use silly French accents, play with the Murph Brothers. I guarantee (laughs) good times will be had.
1: So, in a week, I'm going to be going to Japan on vacation. And I'm going to be going to some game stores there. But I was thinking a lot of games there I don't really know about. And just games outside of like America and Europe, I don't really know that many games outside of that. But I know there's a lot of games in Japan because my coworkers have gone and they have a lot of game stores there. So, I wanted to talk about games that are lesser known to people in America because they're from different countries.
0: This was interesting to me as well, because I feel like I'm also not as knowledgeable about this subject as I should be.
1: Yeah. But like it makes sense that before the internet, which was probably before a lot of us got into <laughs> the board gaming hobby too, we would only know games that are from our area or from our country. But now the whole world is connected through the internet. So we're seeing more games from around the world, but it's still... I think for the games I play, most of them come from America or from Europe or Germany. Or like, Germany's in Europe, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's accurate for me as well. And even like our knowledge that other things exist is 100% mm-hmm. increasing because of the internet, but it still often takes time for games from other countries to either pick up distribution or get translated. So mm-hmm. we like even if we know about a thing that doesn't mean that we necessarily have access to it because if the game yeah. rules are only in, you know, uh Chinese for instance, mm-hmm. and I don't speak Chinese, then I can't play that game. So
1: yeah. And that actually did happen with Deception Murder in Hong Kong. It was originally called CS Files, I think in I think it was made in Hong Kong. <laughs> Yeah. So then it got wider distribution and now it's Deception Murder in Hong Kong and it's very popular. Yeah, it
0: is. So, <laughs> it's so good. So we, we put a call out online for people to help us out with this because yeah. since Ambie and I aren't, you know, th- this is a topic that's surprisingly difficult to research. Like even on mm-hmm. BoardGameGeek, which is the preeminent website for board game information, it's difficult to look up games and know for sure that they don't already have reprintings or distributions in countries that we are familiar with, like here in America Mm -hmm. or something like that. So even if I look up games from a specific country, I might say, see something and say, Oh, that looks interesting. It might've already been brought to America by somebody else. And I think we were kind of mostly trying to focus on games that haven't become widely available in America, but we, we have a few in here that we've got in our list that, definitely have been brought over to the States already. Um, and I think it's an interesting subject of discussion that more of those games are being brought over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so just to clarify, we are generally going to be omitting games that are super widely available in America. And we also kind of omitted games from a lot of uh, Europe as well, because those tend to usually get printed in English, especially like the German games. They tend to get printed in English right off the get go and often have distribution in the western world pretty quickly so most of our stuff on our list here is from not america and not most of europe so if we (laughs) omit a thing for that reason that you think should have been included that's why (laughs) and we're obviously
1: not talking about every game
0: oh yeah oh gosh (laughs) we and the blitz (laughs) podcast has now become the longest (laughs) podcast in history
1: (laughs) So yeah, I'm going to Japan, and they have a lot of games there. We we only know about Oink games, really, but they have... Um, actually, my my coworker got a game there that's kind of like Love Letter, and I forget what it's called, but it's all in Japanese, and he got it back, and it's like their number one or two selling game there. Oh, wow. And it is called Hanin Wa Odoru. We have played it like once. It's kind of like Love Letter, so I thought it was okay but um it's pretty light you're you're putting down cards that have different powers but it's all in Japanese so we were like looking up the English rules and my coworker can read Chinese which like part of the Japanese characters are Chinese are the same as Chinese characters so he could read some of it but then not all of it so we didn't know what they do (laughs) so yeah a lot of these games it's hard to know because they don't have English
0: translations so We don't, we aren't able to play it. Sad. (laughs) So something interesting that we've kind of come across in our research here is I think games often have an opportunity or can be utilized to help educate people about facets of different cultures that they weren't familiar with or aren't very familiar with. Someone had suggested to us a game from a Pakistani designer that's called Arranged that is about arranged marriages. And the, the designer created it kind of as a means to shine a light on some cultural practices that take place in South Asian culture that maybe we in the Western world aren't even aware still go on or are incredibly prevalent in other parts of the world so Mm -hmm. it's definitely subject matter that like when i looked at the game it kind of it made me feel a little bit like icky inside because of the idea but i appreciate the fact that games can be used to bring awareness to things that we sometimes kind of try to maybe avoid or you know turn away from because we don't want to see bad things that are happening in other parts of the world
1: Yeah, and similar things with games with historical settings. There are a couple games that I've played because they do have uh, American printings. There's Three Kingdoms Redux, which was made in Singapore, and Raid on Taihoku, which is a Taiwanese board game. And they're both historical settings that are things that I didn't learn about growing up in America because I didn't really learn Asian history. So that was really interesting. I actually really liked both of those games (laughs) because... Yeah, Raid on Taihoku is a cooperative game where it's about a bombing on Taipei in- oh, during wow. World War II from the Allied forces <laughs> um and it's you're playing as civilians trying to survive like you're a civilian family so you're just like going around different places trying to avoid the, the places that are getting bombed. So it's very very tense.
0: Yeah, very dark yeah, yeah. and <laughs> there are, i definitely there's a lot of war games both published mm-hmm. in the western world and elsewhere and i've always found games set in the, in a wartime setting to be an interesting thing because you have to handle those things in a specific delicate way
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you want to you don't want to uh make light of the fact that you know tragic things happened But you can use it as an opportunity to educate people about those tragic things. So I think striking that balance is sometimes tough to do. But I think a lot of game designers have found ways to do it.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think people can also play games differently in different cultures. So this isn't, this is like American culture, but uh, I actually got the chance to play Codenames with Vlada and he talked to us about his playtesting experience. And he said that when he playtested it with Americans, they tied everything to baseball, which doesn't happen with other countries. So he didn't expect that to happen. So it's like played differently in America versus other thing, other countries. And I've heard also 18xx games like 1830 is played more aggressively in the U.S. than with British people. And um, I don't know how it's played in Japan because I know Japan also has
0: a big 18xx community. But it might be very different. And there's definitely trends that tend to pop up in different parts of the world that I think are now kind of spreading a little bit more quickly than they used to. But like, even, it's funny, Euro games are a thing now. Everywhere, Mm -hmm. generally. But really, the reason they're called Euro games is because in Europe, in the 1990s, you know, these really dry, you know, cube-pushing farming type experiences were a thing that started there and got really popular mm-hmm. there first. And then eventually came across to other parts of the world. Uh, I think I believe roll and write games were way more popular in Japan or other Asian countries before they became super pervasive over here in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent on my facts there, but I know that roll and write games, there are more roll and write games popular now over there so i'm kind of basing some of my assumptions off of that and now they're really popular it seems like kind of everywhere but they weren't Mm -hmm. even just a few years ago like really Roland rights at least in america i think we've kind of just really become aware of them as a like a gaming community in what maybe the past five or six years possibly
1: Aside from, like, (laughs)
0: Yahtzee, which obviously, I think Yahtzee was kind of it. Like, I didn't ever, when I was a kid, I didn't think of Yahtzee as a type of game that, like, there Mm -hmm. could be other games like it. I just thought, oh, it's Yahtzee. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and again, my experience is not representational of everyone in America. <laughs> and for all I know, there were lots of other Roll and Write games in America at that time that I was just not aware of. So anything we say here, or me specifically, uh, please forgive if I am ignorant about something because, you know, we're trying to learn and it's this subject is a tough one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I get really excited when I hear about games from other cultures. My husband is Taiwanese, so we end up trying out a lot of games that we hear about just because they're Taiwanese or a Taiwanese publishing company. And that's why we ended up playing Raid on Taihoku. Cause it's like, Oh, it's, it's about Taiwan and it's by a Taiwanese person. And so I think that's really important because like people from different cultures will get excited about a game that's made from their, from their culture. So it's really cool having games made all over the world because then you can have feel more connection to it. I think.
0: Hey, guess what? Diversity and representation, (laughs) it all comes back around to that. Basically, people want to see themselves represented in games in some way. And even better still, if, you know, the person who designed it came from the same place they did. But I'm sorry. I know I'm a broken record at this point. But I'm going to keep bringing it up because it is important. And uh, I think it's really neat that we're moving in the right direction in that regard. And that we are seeing games from other cultures and other countries and a more diverse subset of designers become uh, popular and get talked about here in the States. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there are a lot of very well-established European and American designers who do very good work. But if we only pay attention to them, then we might be missing out on some really cool stuff from some designers that you haven't heard of before. So Mm -hmm. maybe... Instead of getting so hyped up about the hotness, like me earlier talking about Dinosaur Island, which I'm going to (laughs) back on Kickstarter, maybe, you know, dig a little deeper. Try and look for something a little bit more obscure, and you might find a hidden gem. And then you can be the cool person who introduces it to other people. And Mm -hmm. isn't that a fun thing to do? For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to look at the origins of the word foreign. Foreign. The English word foreign started out in the 13th century, but was actually spelled differently at the time. The spellings of the word ranged from f-e-r-r-e-n to f-o-r-a-n to f-o-r-e-y-n-e. All of these words were generally defined as outside the boundaries of a country or regarding persons born in another country. Those words can be traced back through the old French word forain, meaning strange, foreign, outer, external, outdoor, remote, or out of the way. That word can then be traced further back through the medieval Latin forainius, which meant on the outside or exterior, and the Latin foris, which literally meant out of doors or a door the English spelling of the word changed to what we're familiar with today during the 17th century, likely as a result of the influence of other words, including reign and sovereign. So the next time that you're looking at a game on the shelf and it seems a little bit foreign to you, maybe pick it up. Give it a look-see. If those uh, rules are in English, buy it. Try it out. You might find something new that won't be foreign to you any longer.
1: And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and BoardGameGeek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. The cooperative deduction game that everyone was buzzing about at Essen, Rising 5, Ruins of Astros, is being released from Gray Fox soon. You can pre-order it directly from greyfoxgames.com today, or pick up a copy at your friendly local game store on April 12th. Gray Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel, where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, para escuchar la pizza. To la pizza. Se solo
0: 30 minutos. Bye, everyone! Bye! Special surprise to those of us who have been supporting us on Patreon. Those of us? I said those of us. As soon as I said it, my brain went, yeah. that wasn't right. But I, I get really excited. <clears throat> <Because. laughs> You're so excited, dude. You're dying. You're choking on your excitement. <laughs> This week, we're talking about, wait, <laughs> did I type that? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> I think I forgot to put games in there. <laughs> well, <laughs> this week we're talking about foreign. <laughs> it's not a thing. Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm just going to start from scratch because it's easier.